Okay, so there was this topic called package deal, and I had a part one. It was a very uh, short little podcast, um, but in this part two, I wanted to follow up with probably the best example of the Bitcoin package deal that I've recently thought about. And this isn't a fleshed out idea. This is just something that popped into my head in association with, um, with a topic that Alex Epstein has, um, has mentioned before. And I did try to look up and review exactly what Alex said about the concept of a package deal in relation to, um, to the climate change, um, narrative, but I couldn't find it. So I just have to, have to, um, remind everybody, um, and remember what I do from what he said. And what he said is that, um, a lot of times, uh, when someone is explaining something, they'll package several different, um, concepts together that, that do not, um, deserve to be packaged. So, um, with climate change, a lot of times, if you're not on the green movement side, they're going to ask questions to you like, oh, you deny climate science or, oh, you don't think humans are having an effect on the climate. And oftentimes, that's not accurate. Oftentimes, if you were to probe honestly, you know, what it is that the difference of, of opinion is here, it's not that someone is a climate change denier. It's often that they'll concede and agree that there's, um, there's human influence on climate, uh, and that we do affect the climate. But the difference of opinion is that you don't go along with or agree with the policy advice uh, or prescriptions of um, the, the green movement. So you don't agree with what they want to pass um, through Congress. You don't agree with the magnitude of the threat of a climate change. Um, you also disagree with, you know, the, the potential or the predictions, right? That, that the, the climate um, change proponents make. And so there's all of these nuances that need to be unpacked, let's say. And so uh, oftentimes what, they'll, what, what people who try to package all of these different things together is they'll lump you and they'll say, well, you just deny the science. And, and even if you, you agree with some scientists, you know, maybe in the, climate industry, maybe not all of them, but maybe you agree with some of them, uh, you just, just, you just disagree on policy. And so this is what is called sort of, I think this is what I took away from when Alex Epstein mentioned this package deal concept, and it's kind of a logical fallacy. Um, and it's a technique that, that, that certain people will use on purpose. And it's a technique maybe some people use not on purpose, but it's it's a technique, right? That it, 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 it this this idea, this concept applies to lots of other things, and and I'm applying it right now to Bitcoin. And um, what I didn't mention in my part one is this idea that um, there's this 
token called Bitcoin. And the Bitcoiners will agree with this. You know, there's, they, they even describe it like this. There's this token called Bitcoin. And they often say, I think they say this is little b. This is the little b. The big b is like the network called Bitcoin. Right. And what are they referring to here? I mean, to me, I think they're referring to the token that's traded as little b. That's the token versus the um, the network. Right. This is the utility, the concept that Bitcoin has some underlying utility. The utility is um, unfortunately it's the utility, you know, amongst other people. So the utility of Bitcoin is that you can trade it amongst other people. Uh, that is what they consider or call the big B. They consider the little B is the token, the token that you buy on an exchange, the token that's used as the store of value. They call this thing the store of value. It's the thing that they, they um, speculate on, the thing that they think is an inflation hedge. The only thing that they can consider an inflation hedge is this little b token, right? The Bitcoin token that they speculate on, that they store as savings, that they want you to buy. The, the, the utility behind Bitcoin is that you can, in theory, trade it, uh, transact in it, sort of this, 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 um, uh, unpermissioned, right? This unpermissioned um, transfer utility that Bitcoin supposedly uh, provides. Um, now, they do admit that these two things are separate, but there's a lot of um, there's a lot of, um, um, in my opinion, in the marketing of Bitcoin and, and the, the 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 sale of Bitcoin to other people. There's a lot of confusion and um, packaging. Let's use, this, use let's use the same term packaging on what Bitcoin is, how it's how it is priced, why it should have any kind of value. So I'm going to unpack these two things. I want to unpack the token of Bitcoin and the larger network of Bitcoin. Or you could call it the protocol of Bitcoin, which is this token. Basically, it's a key you control that exists in some some code that interacts with other code. And you have the key, in, in theory, to move or to transact right this, this uh, Bitcoin uh, between different addresses. Um, and, and you can, in theory, move value. Now, you can only move value to the extent that Bitcoin is worth anything. That's why you need to buy the token, right? That's why you need to buy something called Bitcoin, which is these UTXOs that have come into existence, these Bitcoin tokens that have come into existence. You need to buy these from somebody else who's got them from somebody else who maybe mined them. But you need to buy these in order to use the network, in order to use um, to be able to um, use the the network, which is the proposed utility of Bitcoin, is to transact value. Now, the problem here is is that um, what do you what value are you uh, transacting? Right. In my mind, Bitcoin's priced in dollars, and when Bitcoin is priced in dollars, that means all you're doing is moving dollars and. 
I saw a tweet earlier today, and I should have taken a screenshot of it, but I didn't. But someone tweeted out um, that Bitcoin is good because it can sometimes, there's two people who invest in Bitcoin. Someone who just wants to transact in Bitcoin alone, someone who wants to use Bitcoin to move USD. And I thought this was a very interesting little graphic that they had. They had a little graphic where they showed this this fork of of you know, the people that want to move USD in Bitcoin, the people that want to just hold Bitcoin and never sell Bitcoin, never go back to USD. But they were admitting that this this US economy, no one really accepts Bitcoin. And what Bitcoin is, is it's a rail. It's a technology. It's a tool to move Bitcoin. So it's a tool to move Bitcoin um, around. And now that I think more about it, this was highly accurate, right? Um, This was a highly accurate description, in my opinion. Now, his, 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 his idea of what he was presenting probably was very different than what I got out of it. <laughs> but, uh, now that I think of it, it, it was pretty good. So, um, so how, how are these things unpackaged? That's how the way you should think about Bitcoin is what is the utility? What am I buying and why? And, um, does the price justify the utility that I can get from this thing? And, and what, um, how could this price be disrupted, right? We, we've, you know, if you followed the VC, um, VC industry in the last 10 years, it's, it's been all about like disruption. We had Uber, right, to disrupt the, the cab industry. And I'm going to bring up cabs later in the future in, um, a presentation that I thought, um, uh, done by this guy named Zivi um, Abraham, I think is is his name. I apologize if I mispronounce it, but it's a slide share he made. Um, I think I think around 2018, and I think it gets to the heart of what the value proposition of Bitcoin, the utility is, and how that is different from the value proposition of the token. And ultimately, it basically. Um, makes the case that this value from just the token can be disrupted by introducing um, a way to disrupt um, the, so to make, so the token is scarce in Bitcoin, right? But is the utility of what the Bitcoin network provides scarce? The argument that you'll see is, is no. And why is that? Well, because the token can be made artificially scarce by this $21 million, sorry, $21 million uh, cap of Bitcoin. That there will only be issued 21 million Bitcoin tokens ever. But the utility of this can be replicated based off of there could technically be another um, um, application out there, call it another, another blockchain or another uh, token launch, right? That could replicate. Um, similar properties of Bitcoin, maybe not the exact, right? Not, maybe not the exact security model, uh, but, but they could get pretty close. And depending on what you're using it for, like if you're using it for utility, the purpose of really uh, transferring uh, USD or some other currency equivalent in fiat across um, a border or to someone else, and you like the blockchain, you think the blockchain is a great way to do it, um, to the extent that 
this other blockchain has a token you can buy and then send to someone and then they could sell this token for their local currency. And you've, you, this meets your needs that, such that you can, um, use, um, this other blockchain for the utility of moving, moving value. And you're, what you're, what are you really doing? You're really moving value in your local currency or say another currency, maybe USD. If you're in the third world and you don't, you know, have a local currency, you're adopting the USD. You're buying Bitcoin, which is priced in USD. You're sending a transaction on the Bitcoin network. Um, and to someone else, right? You're really sending USD. You're not really sending Bitcoin unless this person is um, going to hold Bitcoin for the long term, in which case um, the the idea that you're uti- utilizing the Bitcoin network for the utility is, is inaccurate. Uh, if you're using it just for the utility, you're using it as a transfer mechanism that transfers US dollars. If, if then someone decides to then hodl Bitcoin and not turn it back into their local currency, they're now going from, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm just using Bitcoin, um, for the utility purpose to now I'm, I'm using Bitcoin for the token purpose, which is the store value narrative. The idea that Bitcoin will go up in price because it's limited in supply, because it's artificially scarce, artificially meaning that this is not a limitation of nature. This is a limitation of um, of humans. Humans have coded in there will only be 21 million of Bitcoin. And so this is a scarcity narrative. So um, I'm going to now introduce this, this, uh, this slide share from his name on Twitter is Never, Nivertech. N i v e r t e c h, and his his actual name is Zivi Abraham. I apologize apologize if I mispronounced it. First name Z v i. Anyways, he has this great presentation that that describes what I'm talking about here, and its title is "Limited Supply is Caveman Psychology." So, um. He, it's, it's, it, this presentation is almost a how-to on how to create a crypto, right? You want to artificially introduce scarcity into a cryptocurrency because you want people to think it's scarce. Um, you have to almost, to market a crypto, you really need to come up with some kind of utility. And this is where Bitcoin um, shines, right? It, it's come up with this idea that the utility is transfer, you can transfer Bitcoin to somebody else, right? And you need these tokens. You need to somehow acquire Bitcoin in order to um, to to use the utility of Bitcoin. But what is the beauty of Bitcoin and the beauty of most cryptos is that um, there is unlimited utility, right? There's unlimited utility, but a fixed supply of the token, you need to use this utility. So what I mean by that is that the utility itself is not um, scarce. It's just the token you you acquire to use this utility. And it's not scarce. The utility is not scarce itself because there's lots of other cryptos that can also um, do the same function as Bitcoin as transferring, you know, USD, from one person to another. And, and if a crypto is priced in USD, it's really about the transfer of that USD. It's not about using Bitcoin as money. It's about the transfer of what you can sell that token for, which is, you know, our fiat currency. So 
Um, so, okay, so I'm on the slide of how to attract quote unquote investors and to circumvent Howey test. Um, so he has this thing says security to limited supply utility, but the underlying utility itself is not limited. Only amount of token is limited. Thus, it's an artificial scarcity. So I, I, I like to explain Bitcoin as an artificial, um, artificially scarce token because the humans itself, uh, humans itself coded in this 21 million cap, right? This artificial, um, scarcity. Now, like in theory, there's only 21 million of them. So, um, if the underlying utility of Bitcoin itself is that you can transact in it, I suppose if you, if you, if you, you had to buy this token, right, to use this utility. But if I am only interested in Bitcoin because of the utility that it provides, I, I don't care. I don't care about Bitcoin long term. I don't care about the price of Bitcoin other than the price of Bitcoin during my transaction period. So I want to buy Bitcoin and then I want to transfer to somebody else. And then I don't really care what happens to Bitcoin. Like I, you know, once they accept my trade, um, you know, they maybe they convert it to the local currency. Maybe they don't. But I don't really care um, as long as they accept my trade. What happens to Bitcoin in the long term? I just need to be able to transact in it. I need to I need I need there basically to be liquidity in this thing. I need to be able to easily get in and out when I want to. And Bitcoin is traded 24 seven. So if I want to, you know, trade with somebody in Nigeria on a Saturday, theoretically I can because I can buy Bitcoin, um, you know, and maybe Coinbase has some restrictions on, you know, how soon I can get the, the Bitcoin out. But in theory, if, if they worked more efficiently, um, I could get, I could buy Bitcoin and then like send it to somebody in Nigeria, like the same day, you know, in theory. And I wouldn't really need to huddle Bitcoin. I don't care about what Bitcoin's price is because ultimately I'm buying it at the time for a a purpose, a trade that I'm doing with somebody in Nigeria where I know how much Bitcoin I need to send because I calculate how much Bitcoin is worth in dollar terms at that point in time. And I'm, what I'm really doing is not sending Bitcoin. I'm sending the dollar value equivalent just through the Bitcoin payment rail. So back to his slides, There's, he has a pair of shoes here. And it says limited edition, only 10K pairs of globally sold out in seven hours. Um, and he's basically saying that um, this is a marketing tactic, right? Scarcity. Next slide, it costs nothing to produce new tokens, unlike producing a small batch of sneakers. So he's basically saying it's better to go into the business of selling crypto than to go into the business of selling limited supplies of, of, of shoes, um, even if they have, you know, Michael Jordan's signature on them, because there is a cost to production. You have to pay Michael Jordan for his signature. You also have to pay the workers. You have to actually produce something. Like you have to produce a real shoe versus crypto can be cost, can be created virtually out of nothing, right? There's no production cost here. Next slide, Nokia stock uh, before 2007. And it says limited supply of shares works. It has this this chart of the shares of Nokia going up. And uh, what, what what is implied here? Well, the iPhone was released, what, in 2008 or nine, And so um, this idea that Nokia was, you know, the, the main producer of phones or whatever it was back then, um, they limited the supplies, supply of stock in Nokia. But then what happened? Uh, well, we saw um, iPhone and then Nokia 
uh, I guess, um, crashed, right? So the limited supply of Nokia shares didn't help when a new, better product was released called the iPhone. Um, the shares of Nokia were decimated. Let's see. So I think this is actually the best example. This is New York, uh, New York City Taxi and Limousine Commission, um, where they license taxi cabs. And it says the city controls the number of medallions currently capped at 13,587 to prevent an oversupply of cabs like what occurred in the 1930s. Uh, then and now, uh, slide taxi medallion prices, 1937, it was $10. In 2013, it was 1.05 million. And then next slide, there's a chart of the, you know, New York taxi medallion cost from 1980 to 2011. And it shows a price increase of over uh, 750%. Uh, it shows a price, uh, shows a, shows um, U.S. housing prices also um, on the same chart and gold. And wow, I mean, the New York uh, taxi cab medallions, they've, they they went up substantially um, and they really went up exponentially, I'd say, from the year 2000. Um, and it, here's a little um, graphic on the chart. It says, except for the aftermath of 9-11 and the 1970s oil shock, the upward climb of medallion prices has been uninterrupted. Okay, and then this next slide says Uber. And then um, a next, the chart here says individual NYC taxi medallion prices, January 2010 to August 2015, right? So this is called the Uber effect, this downward sloping um, graph. And let's see, next, next chart or next slide, NY taxi medallions, limited supply isn't a panacea. Uh, quote, gone are the years when taxi medallions steadily rose in value, largely because there was a limited supply of them. The city controls the number of medallions currently capped at 13,587 to prevent an oversupply of cabs like what occurred in the 1930s. Taxi medallions, once a safe investment, now drag owners into debt. Okay. Uh, next slide. Oh, that's it. Okay. So I thought there was more on that. But basically what he's alluding to is that um, um, rideshare, right? So Ubers, Lyfts of the world, they disrupted this industry. And, you know, in a way, I don't know how they got around the, the city of, of New York. You know, I've heard that they broke a lot of laws when they were expanding, but they provided the same utility at far lower prices and then disrupted this um, this artificially capped market of um, New York taxi cabs that had to get um, city approval. So what it's saying is basically that um, anytime there's an, anytime there's an artificial uh, cap on a token or so in this case, a, a taxi cab medallion that allowed you to provide taxi service in New York, anytime there's an artificial um, sub, uh, cap but the underlying utility is technically not capped, then um, you could have this crash, right? You could have this crash eventually. may not happen right away, but, but basically the utility of blockchain could be, you know, the transfer mechanism could be satisfied by any number of cryptos that replicate Bitcoin um, that have similar properties. And again, I'm not going for long-term stability of something like, 
uh, Ethereum, right? But if I just need to send some value to somebody in USD, who cares, right? I don't, I'm not hodling this. You know, I only care because they want it in Ethereum technically or whatever. That's the best way to transact. And that's the utility underlying Bitcoin, right? And, and Ethereum. And yeah, I realize there's some, some minor uh, differences in like how something might get into a block or, you know, how these things get um, stamped approval on the blockchain, right? Proof of stake, proof of work. Technically, Ethereum hasn't even moved to proof of stake yet. They're technically still proof of work. Care about as long as the other person on the other side that I'm transacting with doesn't care either. And, 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 and so no one is holding this long term. I don't need to be a saver of Bitcoin. I just need to be, um, I just need to, right, uh, use Bitcoin when it's convenient to me when I want to use the utility called Bitcoin. So there's this, you need to separate the utility called Bitcoin versus the token called Bitcoin. Now, I realize there's a separate narrative going on for this token called Bitcoin. So not only have they artificially capped Bitcoin at 21 million, um, so there's this artificial um, cap on its supply, they also have this narrative running, right? They also have this narrative running that's a store of value, that's inflation head. So all of this is way better than something like a New York um, taxi medallion or even Nokia stock, right? All these things that were limited uh, issuance versus the utility they provided. Bitcoin um, definitely wins um, the race here, in my opinion, but it doesn't get them out of the woods, right? It doesn't get them out of the woods. It has to actually perform as an inflation hedge. And it, I don't think it has any way to really do this other, 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 um, uh, besides just Bitcoiners hoping that it can be a, you know, inflation hedge. So, um, yeah, uh, but, but, but it is better, at least in that, in theory, there's a narrative around this token and that it can be something different and it can be um, considered um, an inflation hedge. But, but the problem is, is that they, they think it's money and the money part is tied to the utility part, which is that you can use it in, tra- in transactions and that it's a store of value. So um, that, that could be a problem for them. But I think that when people invest in Bitcoin, they often confuse what it is they're buying with the network or the utility that may, may be provided to them. Um, but the utility ultimately has no, um, no real impact or no significant impact, in my opinion, on the price of Bitcoin because the token is separate from the, from the network. And as a token owner, you don't own the network. Uh, they talk about the community of Bitcoin. You're you're buying into the community. Um, uh, what what does that even mean? What does the community even mean? Uh, you're joining a club, sure, but that doesn't entitle you to any any rewards, any kind of new Bitcoin being issued. So, so I just wanted to run through that um, that that slide deck, which I think illustrates, you know, the package deal of Bitcoin, the focus of this artificially capped token by supply, you know, versus the utility of Bitcoin. And I can, I can be, you know, so there's a lot of people like I listen to Lynn Alden and she's been going on a lot of podcasts recently and she makes the, she makes a good case that like Bitcoin, it can be used to transfer your, your wealth in theory uh, pretty good, pretty well. Like, and I, I admit that it's a tool and it could be used like that. And if I was in a pinch 
and there was no other way to get my wealth out of the country and I was living in a dictatorship that I might buy Bitcoin too. But that doesn't mean I'm marrying Bitcoin. It doesn't mean that I predict all kinds of crazy price predictions for the token. It means that, that at the current time, I find myself in a scenario where I need to get the hell out of Dodge. I want to go to another country. I want to convert my house, right, that I can't move into Bitcoin, right? So, so this assumes though that there's a buyer, there's a buyer there willing to exchange, right? Whatever the, the currency equivalent value of my, you know, local house is to Bitcoin. And so the Bitcoin people never actually go into detail of how this service is being provided in a dictatorship, especially. And I want to know in these war-turned countries and these places where it's so difficult to transact, apparently, um, these third world countries, how, how are these people buying Bitcoin? Are they being scammed? Are they having to pay a premium? I mean, why is the dictator even allowing this? Is it that they can't control it? Maybe, but it's just funny to me that, that this is, um, this is happening so easily. Like this part's being glossed over. But even if I was in a war torn country, I could use, you know, provide, you know, provided that this just works, right? And I could somehow sell my house and my valuables for Bitcoin and get the hell out of this dictatorship. Um, and then move somewhere else. I could just easily remember this code, this key in my head, right? And then easily move to the United States where I could easily sell my Bitcoin and get, you know, dollars, right? And then buy, buy things that I, that I want, right? Buy another house. Uh, this is, this is like a one-time deal for me. And I don't really care about Bitcoin besides being able to use, use Bitcoin to move money, uh, to move my wealth quickly. It's basically a payment rail. It's a utility. And I don't give a damn about how much Bitcoin is going to go up in the future. I just hope and pray, right, that by the time I move to the United States from this dictatorship, that Bitcoin hasn't slipped too much, that I haven't been scammed, right, that I haven't had to pay too much of a premium to buy the Bitcoin that I've been able to relatively preserve my purchasing power in um, in the in the in U.S. dollars, right? But I have to. Um, but I'm I'm using Bitcoin as a payment rail, the token. So I hope that Bitcoin hasn't depreciated. I hope that Bitcoin hasn't fallen too much in price, right? By the uh, by the time I sell it to um, to to regain all my wealth that I had in this dictatorship now in the U.S. So that is the only reason why you might buy Bitcoin. At least this is the reason why some people are promoting Bitcoin's utility, right? And it's legitimate. So what I told you is legitimate, but I don't care again about the net. I don't have it. I don't, I'm not invested in the community just because I buy Bitcoin. I don't get any rewards just rewards just because I buy Bitcoin. I don't earn any dividends. Um, all I want to do is use a short-term utility of Bitcoin transfer mechanism, right? But this is separate from the ideas of there's a limited token out there called Bitcoin. It's capped at 21 million. Uh, I think it's going to go up. Like this is a very different thing from the Bitcoin, the network and the utility that you can derive from the network. So this is what the Bitcoiners are rolling up into a package. Um, they're saying that you should buy Bitcoin for the utility. It's it's being adopted because of the utility. Um, it has a use case because of the utility. No, it's not just a Ponzi scheme where people are trying to get rich, right? It's actually being used as a utility. Okay. But you're packaging those things together and you're not actually separating them out. 
And you can, you can argue that I, I might want to use Bitcoin as a utility and not have any interest in holding this token called Bitcoin other than the purpose of using it as a utility. So I would argue again that this is a really good point for the regulators. I am using Bitcoin as a utility and I have to buy this token called the Bitcoin, right? To transact to the extent that I hold it. I'm now an investor. That's a separate function, right? So if I'm just buying Bitcoin, the token to use the utility of, of Bitcoin to trade, to transact, to move money, maybe that's not a security, but if I'm buying it and I'm holding it, or if I decide to use the utility function transfer and then I don't sell the Bitcoin, right? I just decide to keep it. That is for sure an investment case. You have to separate these two things out. And in my opinion, the investment case of Bitcoin, the little b, the token, the limited supply, right? Quote unquote limited supply, because I never believe that human code is, is is set in stone. Um I don't believe that the cap can hold. I mean, it may, but I, I also believe that humans can change the code. Um, it's run by consensus, right? So if people vote on it, right? Okay, back to this. But here's a good point for the regulators. If you are buying the token for an investment purpose, as speculation, or as an inf- quote-unquote inflation hedge, uh, because it has limited supply, and you can tell easily the people that are doing this based on why they're buying it and what their actions are telling you. If they're holding on to it, it's for an investment. If they're holding on to it, it's because they think it's an inflation hedge. If they're holding on to it, it's because they think the price is going up. They're not using it for its utility. So, because the only utility utility of Bitcoin is the transactions, right? Um, you can't really call an inflation hedge a utility. Utility is what you can do with the thing. So, what people think of Bitcoin as an inflation hedge. That's not a utility. That is a belief about what Bitcoin is based on its, its belief on what Bitcoin will be priced at or valued at in the future, which is not a comment on its utility, on what you can do with it. It's a comment on its value or price. So that is a um, investment. And the regulators need to see through this that if you're investing in Bitcoin, not to use it as a transaction, but just to invest in it as a token, as a limited supply token that you believe will go up because other people are going to be rushing into this thing and demanding it, right? Because it's limited supply and we've, we've been able to um, market it in such a way that makes people believe it's going to go up and be scarce and be demanded. Um, that's one thing. But um, you have to look to see, well, you know, maybe this demand is because they want to use it as utility, but that's not what we see. We see people wanting to use it as an investment. And so this, these two things are very different. And the regulators, and I would even say normal people, need to learn how to unpack, right? Unpack these things that are just combined, combined together, but they should really be un- unpacked, explored, and um and, and shown to be to be very different different things, you know. Maybe it should even be called something else, right? Maybe the Bitcoin that's being transferred should be called something else. Although it's kind of it's kind of silly because you have to buy Bitcoin to use the network. But just because you have to buy Bitcoin to use the network doesn't mean it's a utility token. That's only a utility token. Um, 
What you use Bitcoin for depends on the person using it. There's people using it to speculate and to invest, quote unquote invest. I hate to use that word around Bitcoin because it's a non-productive asset. They just think the price is going to go up. But then there's people who legitimately, perhaps in the third world, are using it to escape, right? To, to actually move value, right? But they're not really moving Bitcoin. They're moving the underlying thing at which Bitcoin was was priced in or bought, right? They're, they're actually moving dollars or their own local currency, whatever it is they use to buy Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a technology uh, that's being artificially um, tied to this token, quote unquote, that's limited in, in, in supply. It's artificially capped. And there's a reason for that. And it's a reason that is a wealth transfer mechanism to separate you from your hard earned money.